All right, so do me a favor, turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and you might also want to queue up Acts chapter 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we're going to get to Acts 16 here in just a few minutes. Um, I had a couple people ask me, hey, when are you going to get back to the volume of the book series? Well, that's coming. Um, But before we do that, we've got a special week next week. So next week, um, a friend of mine is going to be here. His name is Justin Bedwell. Um, He's a missionary to Zambia, Africa. Uh, He's a good friend of mine. He's actually been to Harvest a few years ago when we were back renting the Methodist church building. He and a group of others had, had come. And so he's been to Iola, but he didn't speak or anything like that. And, and uh, Justin and I have quickly become fast friends. And uh, so he's on his way in from Nebraska to Lee Summit and what have you. And then he's going to be here um, this, this coming weekend. So he's coming in Friday and he and his family are leaving on Monday. And uh, so we're going to spend some time with him, just getting to know him some more. And he's moving from the Lusaka area, in which if you're geography, it's like been a while since you've checked out Zambian geography, right? He's moving to a new area of, and where there's no church, really. There's no true churches there. And so he's moving there, he and his family, to plant a church in a place called Mfue, Zambia. How do you spell that? Mfue, M-F-W-E. That's how you spell it. Anyway, so he's moving there. And uh, he's going to be here next week to, to share what, what God's doing. And uh, I told him, hey, I don't know that we're going to be financially supporting you, but I want our people to be behind and hear from missionaries, right? And so uh, they're going to be here Sunday morning. And then Sunday evening, I'm gonna, we're, Karen and I are going to open up our house Sunday evening for anybody who just wants to hang out with a missionary. Maybe you have questions or you want to just talk to a missionary, what have you. We might even put them in a hot seat and just grill them with a thousand questions. I don't know. But I, I do have a couple rules if you're coming, right? Rule number one, everybody's welcome. That's rule number one. Rule number two, watch your children, right? That's rule number two. Everybody said, amen. Rule number three, you bring a snack because I'm going to be hungry, right? So rule number three is you got to bring a snack. And uh, if I had a rule number four, it'd be bring a good attitude. Other than that, man, we're going to have a blast, right? So that's going to be Next Sunday evening over at the Godfrey's, I don't know exactly what time. You'll get that information probably later this week. Um, but uh, Justin, Justin and his family is really looking forward to being here. All right. So today is the first Sunday of 2004. Is that crazy to think? 2000, I, I'm old. 2024. Maya's looking at me like, you are old. You're getting senile. 2024. And uh, something we typically do is uh, a vision message, just to always remind ourselves of what the vision of the church is. And then tonight, um, if you consider yourself a member, we'd love to have you. Um, six, six o'clock p.m., we're going to be talking budget and finance. We do that once a year. And uh, just some extra little things. So you're more than welcome to come and, and be a part of that. But tonight, or this morning, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that I often come to when I'm thinking about the vision of the church or my own personal vision. And I just want to remind us of what our vision here is at HBC. It's go, bring, build, glorify, isn't it? I mean, how many times you hear that on, in, a, in a year? You, you, I, I'm hoping you hear it every single week, numerous times. That is our vision of our church is to go, bring, build, and glorify. In other words, we want to be a going church. Right? We want to go where the people are. We want to be a bringing church. We want to bring people to meet Jesus and to know Jesus and to serve Jesus. Now, we get this vision from Haggai chapter 1 and verse 8. Haggai chapter 1, verse 8, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. So go, bring, build, glorify. And this is a vision we've had for a long time, and until the Lord changes it, this is what we're going to roll with. Listen, we are living, breathing, walking temples of God. That's what the Bible says. And so corporately, we are to be a united temple, but individually, you are your own personal temple, right? You are your own priest, right? You have a high priest, his name is Jesus, but you, uh, you have the priesthood of the believer. You ought to be able to enter into God's presence on your own, all right? But along with that, man, you ought to be doing something with it. So go where the people are, 
and then bring people to meet Jesus, know Jesus, and serve Him. But we also want to be building temples. We want to see you growing in, 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 in temples that reach the world. In the Old Testament, the world had to go to the temple. In the New Testament, the temple goes to the world. And the, it's going to turn around again in the future during the tribulation in the, in, in the end times. The world's going to have to flow back to the temple, to a physical place. But we also want to glorify God. And we want to glorify God in the fact that we've, that we've went and that we've, that we've built, right? And, and, and that we've brought. All right, so that's the vision of HBC. But let me ask you this question. What is your personal vision? What about you? What about you? Because when people lack vision... When you lack personal vision, the Bible says you're going to perish. Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. You want true happiness? Do what God told you to do. And that's why I think some of us are miserable. I'm not going to say all of us, right? Some of us might be miserable because you're not doing what God's called you to do. What is your personal vision? Where there is no vision, the people perish. And he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Are you happy? Are you happy? True joy? I mean, are you experiencing any of that? So the message title I have for us this morning is, what kind of ministry do I have? What kind of ministry do I have? And I just want to get us to think a little bit. This is going to be simple right across the plate. We're not going deep today. Just something to be setting, setting the tone. So last week, we had six questions to consider as we looked at King Asa, roll into this week and looking forward. What kind of ministry do I have? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi, we were bold in our God, in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. For our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor of guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but of God, which trieth our hearts. For neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, nor the, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Now, Paul is giving the Thessalonian church an understanding of what he was thinking when he came into the town and what his passion was and, and the direction of his ministry. He's revealing what his ministry was. And I think we can glean a lot from that. And there's a host of things we can pull out of these eight verses. And so I stripped it way back to three main points, okay? Just three simple ones. And, and, and they're all three questions. The first one is this. Do I have an opportunity-centered ministry? Do I have an opportunity-centered ministry? Or maybe off to the side, you might write, am I seizing every opportunity to minister? Am I seizing every opportunity to minister? So he says this in verses one and two. Yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you was not in vain. But even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. He's looking back to something that's happened to them in ministry. He says, okay, based on that, we came into town. He says, the last part of verse two, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. All right, so. Before we get too deep into this, I'm just going to ask a, a bunch of questions today just to get us thinking. The first one is this, okay, have you been looking for open doors to walk through? Because if you're going to have an opportunity-centered ministry, then you need opportunities. Would you agree with that? You need opportunities. And you have to be looking for opportunities to, to, to open doors. You have to be looking for open doors to walk through. It's hot. I'm taking this off. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Colossians chapter 4 in verse 3 says, With all praying also for us, that God would, would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. So we're looking for doors that get opened to speak the mystery of Christ. Right, so God's the one who opens the door. 
You got to get this. The phrase, you ever heard the phrase, opportunity knocks? You ever heard that? That's a lie. It's a lie. Opportunity doesn't knock. You do. You find opportunities by knocking. Opportunity doesn't knock on your door, right? When was the last time somebody came knocking on the front door of your house and said, hey, I'd like to know how to get saved. You're the person that I need to talk to. Does that happen very often? Uh, the answer is no. It doesn't happen very often. In fact, never does that happen. But how do you find an open door? You knock, right? Now, what would happen if that same individual came to your door and instead of knocking, just walked in? What happens? I know what Dave Shelby's answer is. Boom, right? Pretty much that's the answer. You walk into my house unannounced and I don't know you, you're going to end up on the floor in some way, some shape, some form. Some of us, it's going to be with a baseball bat, maybe a fist, maybe a Glock. I don't know. But we're going to have, there's, there's going to be an issue. And listen, I, I think sometimes we're trying to cram the gospel down to people's throats. That doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. But oftentimes we're just living life without even looking for opportunities. So is your ministry an opportunity-centered ministry? Are you aware? Are you even looking for open doors to walk through? Well, I would. I'd share the gospel if God just gave me an opportunity. Trust me, God's giving you opportunities. He is giving you opportunities. The question is, are you looking for them? Because you only find them by knocking. You only find the door by knocking. You'll Listen, you're going to miss every opportunity you're not looking for. Truth? If you're not looking for it, guaranteed you're not going to find it. But I'm telling you, try me. Test me out on this this week. Trust the Lord for opportunities. Seek for the opportunities, and you will find them every day, an opportunity to pour into somebody. Guaranteed. If you just have the mindset, you just have the idea, I'm going to trust the Lord for an opportunity today. Lord, give me one, please. You'll find it. And then it's up to you whether you walk through that door or not, right? Guaranteed, right? But here's what happens. We're often waiting for opportunities to minister. We're always waiting for the most convenient time, the most opportune time. And we say things, well, I just need a break. Or why is this so hard? You don't know what I'm going through. You ever said that? Ever heard that? You don't understand what I'm going through. Oh, well, there's the key right there. That's the key right there. Have you considered that what you're going through is the open door? Full stop. Have you even considered that? That what you're going through is the open door. Because what you find here in verse 1 and 2 is Paul talking to the Thessalonian church saying, hey, listen, I was shamefully entreated in Philippi. And because that happened, now I'm here in Thessalonica. If it wasn't for what Paul went through in Philippi, he would not have been in Thessalonica. It was the difficulty that opened the door for him to minister. Now, go to Acts 16. You got to get the full story on this. Acts 16, verse 22. So Paul and, and some of his entourage, Silas and a few others, they're in a place called Philippi. The very first time the gospel makes it to Europe, gets to Philippi. They start leading people to Christ. Well, people don't like it. Acts 16, we're jumping right in the middle of the story. Verse 22. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. That's what Paul is referring to. When you're reading in 1 Thessalonians 2, he's referring to this. So he's preaching Jesus, he's preaching the gospel, the multitudes get around him and they beat him. And not just him, they beat Silas and then they put him um, in, in jail, verse 25, and they're singing praises to God at, at midnight. Skip over to verse 38. 
So God opens the prison doors. The jailer walks in and says, hey, what must I do to be saved? I would call that a door of opportunity, wouldn't you? But who's the one that opened the door? It was God. God opens the opportunities. And he sees the opportunity. When he had every opportunity to walk out of prison, he stays and he leads the jailer to Christ. Praise the Lord. Leads the whole family to Christ. All right, skip forward. Verse 38. And the sergeants told these words in the magistrates, and they feared when they heard that they were Romans. So they beat Paul, they beat Silas, not understanding that they were Roman citizens, which was not legal for them to do. They thought they were just Jewish people, so they could beat Jews all they, all they wanted to. But a Roman citizen, they couldn't. So when they find out, oh no, um, we went against the law, we shouldn't have done what we did. Okay, well now they, they say, okay, we just got to get them out of here. Verse 39. And they came and besought them and brought them out and desired them to depart out of the city. And they went out of the prison and entered into the house of Lydia, the first convert in Europe. And when they had seen the brethren, they comforted them and departed. Then you get to chapter 17. Now, just stop for a moment. Imagine you have gone on a mission trip. And on this mission trip, you show up into a town that's never heard the gospel. In fact, they're kind of pagan. And there's some religion happening, there's some paganism happening, and then you just show up and you start preaching Jesus and people start getting saved. How awesome is that? Well, it doesn't take long for a small town to get affected by the gospel, the light being shut on, turned on, right? So they get upset. And so they beat you within an inch of your life. And then they throw you in prison. And then you're singing praises to God and then, and then you lead somebody to Christ and then you get... Then you end up out of prison, you end up back in prison, and then they kick you out of prison. Would you not agree with me that the very next thing you do when you get out of town is like, just go take a break? Would anybody else agree? I'm just telling you, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to go take a break. Like, I need some time to myself. You don't understand what I'm going through. And Paul ends up in a place called Thessalonica, where he could have just gone and found the, the nearest Marriott with a hot tub and a lazy river and just chilled for a little bit. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. This guy has been beaten. He's battered. He's bruised. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's sore. But it was the difficulty that he's going through that opens the door. So check this out. Verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scripture. So he's there, maximum 21 days. Maximum, verse three. Opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. So what's he doing? He's preaching Jesus. He's preaching the gospel, the things that he's referring to in chapter two, verse four, or sorry, in verse four, as some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. Then verse 5 happens. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of a base of sort, and gathered a company, and set on all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. Everywhere they go, they, go to op- they take every opportunity they can. They seize every opportunity they can to preach Jesus. They do it and then there's opposition. All right, so you can lose your spot in Acts because I want you to get the full story of what he's referring to in First, Thess- First I can never say that, First Thessalonians chapter two. Whew, that's a mouthful, it just is. All right, so over there in that passage, chapter two, that's what he's referring to in verses one and two. So if it wasn't for what he went through in Philippi, he never would have been there in Thessalonica. And if anyone has an excuse to take a break because he's broken, it was Paul. But he doesn't do that. What he did? He walked through the open door. He walked through the open door to preach the gospel in the midst of contention. That's what he did. So let's make a very simple practical application here. Difficulty often means opportunity. And usually, we think the exact opposite, don't we? We often complain about how our situation hinders our opportunities. 
You just stop and think just for a moment. What are some things and situations that keep people from engaging in ministry? It's usually busyness or something that they're going through. Well, the question on the table is, have you considered that what you're going through is the opportunity? And he seizes it. He takes advantage of it. Well, how do you know when God's giving you an opportunity? I'm going to tell you right now. One of the best ways you can find out whether God's in it or not, it's hard. There's opposition. And it's difficult. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. For a great door and effectual is open unto me. And what happens? What do you say? There are many adversaries. He recognized that the door was open. And the reason he knew the door was open is because there was a whole lot of adversary. Things standing in his way. All right, so chapter 2 again, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. At the very end of verse 2, he says, look, I I preached the gospel with much contention, not just a little. It wasn't just hard. It was like really hard, really difficult. Okay. Difficulty often means opportunity. Know that. So the question is, do I have an opportunity-centered ministry? You're going to find those opportunities by knocking, and you're going to recognize it by the difficulty. Does that make sense? Well, that's exciting to look forward to, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard. Ministry is hard. That's why people don't do it. I told you last week, I'm calling you something more. I'm calling us to just get busy doing the work. We talk about making disciples all the time. We have Cost of Discipleship starting next week. If you haven't signed up, sign up. Starts next week. There's a cost to fall on the Lord. It's hard and it's difficult. But it starts with making, making new people in Christ. Sharing the gospel with people, which takes us to the next question. Do I have a gospel-centered ministry? Now, Paul could have come in, showed up into town, walked in the synagogue, which is Jewish by nature. They are not, they're not Christian. They don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But he goes in there, he walks in the synagogue, and he preaches, he preaches Jesus. But he doesn't just preach Jesus, he preaches Jesus boldly. You see that at the end of verse 2. He says, we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention, boldness. So maybe off to the side, you might want to write, am I seizing every opportunity to share the gospel? You see, some of us, will, we're seeking opportunities. We'll seize opportunities to interact with people, to, inter, to, to comfort them and to, to, to love on them and to see them. Okay, well, that's great. But the goal has to be to see them come to Christ. We want to know that they're getting saved, right? And so we got to be bold in sharing the gospel. All right, but keep reading because he says this in verse 3. For our exhortation was not a deceit nor of uncleanness nor in guile, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Let that phrase bake your noodle just for a moment. He just said the most important message on this planet has been put in your care and your trust. Think about that. Just think about that. The most important message on the planet has been put in your care. That might change the way you carry yourself, I'm just saying. It ought to give you some purpose, hadn't it? Listen, as a pastor... Sometimes I get privy to information that I'm not always excited to have, right? Carrying other people's burdens and their hurt and their secrets, right? And they don't get shared. I don't put it on blast. I'm not like going live on social media and putting everybody's, I'm not doing that. But 
man, I hold on to that stuff and I take it to the Lord and we counsel. You know why I do that? Because somebody put me in trust with that. Does that make sense? And maybe there's been a time where somebody's put you in trust with a secret or something that they just shared their heart. And you just blabbed it. You shared it with the wrong person. Somebody put you in trust with the gospel. Or sorry, somebody put you in trust with something that was near and dear to them. And then you just put it on blast. See that a lot in like junior high girls. Oh, the mean girl, right? You put a little trust here, a little trust there. Next thing you know, you're getting stabbed in the back. Isn't it interesting that secrets travel faster than the truth? Isn't that, isn't that just interesting? News travels fast, especially when it's seedy. But we have like the most important message on the planet that God would have us to share. Like, share this one. Go tell the world. Just go do that. We just, we just, we just hold it. We just hold it. So he's put you in trust with the gospel. That, all right, so that tells me three things we need, at least three things, not only three things, but at least these, these three things. The first one is, are you even able to declare the gospel? So if God's deemed you worthy of holding it, to, to have responsibility, to be in trust with the gospel, can you even declare it? I'm not going to do this, but if I called you up and gave you a microphone, could you lay the gospel out? Could you do it? Whether that's the Romans road or however way you share the gospel, death, burn, resurrection of Christ. Could you, could you do that? Are you able to declare that? Well, Colossians chapter 4, verse 4 says that I may make it, that's the gospel, manifest, clearly seen, made known as I ought to speak. It should be clear, it should be concise. Are you able, even able to declare it? This summer, I'm, I'm trusting the Lord to maybe do an a evangelism workshop. Maybe, maybe look at some of those things. But if he's put you in trust with the gospel, the next question you have to consider then is, are you a vessel that's worthy of carrying it? If he's put you in trust with it, are you even being faithful with it? Or, or is your vessel... Is your vessel worthy of carrying the gospel? Because 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of, and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. And that's true, right? You have your fine china and you've got your fake china, right? You've got your glass dishes and you have your paper dishes, right? You've got all those things and there's times and places to use whatever dish. All right, but look at verse 21. Because it says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, set apart, and meet or qualified for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. That is what it means to be put in trust with the gospel. Then I need to be able to possess my vessel in sanctification and honor, chapter 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Am I, am I carrying myself in a way that the vessel is worthy to be holding the gospel. All right, but Colossians chapter four and verse five says this. It says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. All right, so here's what I've learned. That the, the, a good question to ask is, you, you say, yeah, I am sharing the gospel. I'm taking every opportunity to share the gospel. And I, I talk about Jesus all the time. And I'm, and, okay, are people rejecting the message? or they're rejecting the messenger. In other words, are they rejecting what's in the package or are they rejecting the package? Does that make sense? So he's put you in trust with the gospels. Do our lives match what we're saying? Because if our life doesn't, if our life doesn't match what we're saying, then no, who cares? No one's going to care. And so when some dude shows up in the town after just getting whooped and just getting beat, then walks in 
bearing his body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. And he starts preaching Jesus. That's not a very, it's not a suit and tie, right? Baptist pastor up there. No, it's a beat up dude preaching Jesus. And everywhere he goes, people are getting saved because his life matched his message. And that's something for true on, for me. That's definitely something that you want. All right, so let's, let's make an application here then. The only way to be faithful with the gospel is to speak it. Are you being faithful with the gospel? Simple question. Are you speaking it? If you're not speaking it, then no. The answer is no. Simple. Simple as that. Are you being faithful with the gospel? Because he says in verse 2, bold to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. The only way to speak is to be bold. That's what I want you to get. If you're going to speak, the only way to speak is to be bold. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. It says, and, and for me, the utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So the only way to speak is to be bold. I don't want you to hear, be a jerk. That's, that's not, boldness does not mean jerkness. Hello, somebody. Bold just means you're not afraid to talk about it. Right? Bold is asking permission to share the gospel and then doing so when given permission to share the gospel. In other words, I'm seeking for opportunities and how do you find opportunities? You do it by knocking. I'm just hanging out at Walmart, you know, my favorite place on the planet. By the way, I'm getting better and better at that, just so you know. Hanging out at Walmart, you're just running to somebody. Hey, Sydney, how you doing? It's been a long time. We haven't talked to each other in a long time. And I'm assuming, you know, let's pretend that Sydney's lost and doesn't know Jesus. And I'm having a conversation. My heart's been burdened for her. And hey, would there ever be a time? Man, I'd just love to just get my wife and let's just drink some coffee and maybe open the Bible. I'd love to share my walk with God with you. Would you, would you be open to that? And she says, not a chance. Hey, awesome. How's school going? What's going on in school? Is there a way I can pray for you? But what if she says, man, I, I would love that. All right, let me get with my wife and she'll get with you and we'll schedule this thing. And then now we know, okay, now, then we have to drink coffee. Like I get to drink coffee and then I get to do it with, with, with Sydney and we're doing, with, and we're, we're drinking coffee and then I open up my Bible and I got to be bold to actually open the conversation and have the conversation about the gospel. How simple is that? Very, very simple. But what if we did that every day of our lives? Just run into somebody, have a conversation. Hey, I would love to, to get with you and share my faith with you. Well, I don't want that. Okay, well then, how can I pray for you? Let's move on. Let's talk about the Chiefs and the fact that they're not going to make it through the playoffs, right? Whatever it might be. Let, let's. But that's how you find opportunities. But then once you find the opportunity, what if that one person says yes? Well, then you've got to be bold. Boldness does not mean being a jerk. Boldness does not mean cramming it down somebody's throat. Boldness means interacting with somebody and actually sharing the gospel. Because here's the other side of it. Boldness, the only way to be bold is to ignore what pleases man. Because he says this, verse 4, But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God was tried at their hearts. So if you're going to be bold, you have to ignore what pleases men. And you got to know this. You have to know this. You don't have to worry about being offensive because the gospel is offensive. In its nature, it's offensive. And so you don't, have to, you don't have to try hard to be offensive. No, the gospel already is. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I don't have to be cute, right? I don't, have to, I don't have to be sly. I don't have to talk somebody into it. No, it's not my wisdom, but it's the demonstration of the Spirit and a power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I don't have to worry about making it palatable or making it in a way that, that they'll like it. 
No, the gospel is offensive. They're not going to like it. I didn't like it. You didn't like it. Until you believed, wait, I need it. <laughs> and now you're all about it. All right, well, that's great. But Galatians chapter 1, verse 10 says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You see, the only way to speak is to be bold, and the only way to be bold is to ignore what pleases men, and the only way to ignore what pleases men is to please God. Does that make sense? I said that really fast. But it's true. The only way to speak is to be bold. The only way to be, the only way to be bold is to ignore what pleases man, and the only way to ignore what pleases man is to seek to please God. That's what he just said. Not as pleasing men, but God. Because if I please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Very plain, very plain. So verses, verses one to four, he just talks about the gospel and how he entered into them. But I want you to see verses five to eight. Let's read these. He says, for neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Look at verse 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth their children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. All right. So the first question we asked was, do I have an opportunity-centered ministry? Am I looking for every opportunity? The second question is, am I, do I have a gospel-centered ministry? Third question, do I have a people-centered ministry? Maybe off to the side, you might write, am I seizing every opportunity to see people? Now, a very influential pastor in my life, definitely Dave Shelby's life, is a guy named Alan Shelby. And one of the phrases he says all the time is ministry rides on the rails of relationships. And that's true. Ministry rides on the rails of relationships. Can I add to that? Ministry rides on the rails of relationships, not results. Not results. If you're involved in any kind of ministry in any way and it's all about results, it's always about numbers. We're in trouble, man. We are in trouble. And I say this all the time, guys. I am not at all interested in becoming the biggest church in town. Don't care about that at all. Like, like at all. In fact, as we get bigger, it kind of freaks me out. Just be honest. Because it gets hard. It gets harder and harder. We can't be focused on results, but when Paul shows up to Thessalonica, he saw some people and he poured the gospel into them. And it's not even a very big church, and yet they did wonderful things for the Lord. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Neither at any time use we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome, uh, burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Listen, if you're going to be focused on people, you need the first thing you've got to you got to deal with is people need to know that you're sincere. You ever been around people who are just fake all the time? How are you? Oh, I'm this and I'm that. You're lying through your teeth. Listen, I, 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 people need to know that when you interact with them and you're engaged in ministry, that you're sincere. They need to know that they aren't a project. They need to know that you're not engaged in sales. Can I get an amen? They need to know that. 
Because if you start coming in there and treating the gospel as, as a used car salesman, they're going to see right through it. They're going to immediately think, what's this guy's angle? So here's Paul shows up in the town and he's beaten, he's bruised, and he walks in the synagogue. He looks a little different than everybody else, right? He's been through something. And when he speaks, he doesn't use flattering words. There's no cloak of covetousness. So if you're going to be sincere, don't use flattering words. Quit trying to use flattery. It doesn't work. No cloak of covetousness. In other words, there's no room for hidden agendas. Because here's what happens, and I see this a lot in ministry, and I'm, I'm stepping outside of the gospel so much as I'm talking about local church ministry just for a moment. There's a danger that we get the idea, the concept in our, in our hearts that we're more interested in what this person has to offer than what I have to offer them. Does that make sense? Don't ever get caught up in that trap. Somebody new shows up in the ministry and they seem gifted, they seem talented, they seem this, they seem that. You immediately start thinking, oh, what I can do with this person. Slow your roll. The goal isn't to see what they have to offer you. And the goal is always to see how you can minister and help them. Do you see people? They need to know that you're sincere. And then he says at the end of verse 6, he says, Neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. In other words, he could have demanded that they take care of him. No, there's no room for selfishness in this. So they, people need to know that we're sincere, but verse, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. So people need to know that you're sincere, but people need to know that they are loved. And if you're a part of any ministry and you don't feel like you're loved, it's not going to be long until you're no longer there. Amen? And Paul's making sure that they know they're loved. Well, how does he do that? Well, you see that in verse 7. He cherished them as a, as a, as a nurse does her children, right? Gentle. Verse 8, so being affectionately desirous, you love them by embracing them. Not in a, don't take that weird. You know what I mean. Listen, there are some people only a mother could love. Truth. That's what I, that's what I like about that. We gentle among you, even as a nurse chairs of your children. Listen, I'm glad mama's loving on that one because that one's a hard one to love. Okay. Praise the Lord. There are people that, like that for sure. But the way you show love as you embrace every aspect of somebody's life. You're gentle among them. You have a mother's care over them. But then he says, if had imparted unto you not the gospel of God only. All right, so you're not loving if you're not sharing the gospel. You love them by embracing them, but you love them with the gospel. You, that's how you love. You love them enough to tell the truth. Penn Gillette, you know, from Penn and Teller, he used to say this, how much do you have to hate someone to not share the gospel with them? That's an atheist saying that. He goes, I have no respect for a Christian who refuses to share their faith. Because how much do you have to believe that to be true and not share that with me? Woo. Paul Clark said it this way, the worst crime in the desert is to know where the water is and not tell anybody. I'll never forget that quote. But how do you love somebody? Well, you let them know that, there's, that you're sincere, but you, you love them by embracing them, by sharing the gospel with them, but you love them with your life. That's how you love them. He says, not only the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Why? Because ye were dear unto us willing to lay down your life. 
your time, your energy, your prayer, your affection, all of it. All right, so let's get really practical here as we land this thing. If we don't have a heart for people, we'll never have a heart for, for ministry. If we don't have a heart for people, we will never have a heart for ministry. Let me just tell you right there is why a lot of people struggle in ministry. They're happy to share the gospel. They're happy to love on people. But they're not necessarily willing to give people their hearts. First Corinthians chapter 16. Great lesson for us. Oh my goodness, great lesson for us. First Corinthians chapter 16, look at verse 15 first. It says, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. In other words, this didn't come naturally. Didn't say they got addicted. They just said, I'm going to do this so much that it becomes the only thing I do, the only thing I live for. You ever been around an addict? Every decision they make is based on their addiction. Everything they do is based on their addiction. They wake up thinking about how they're going to get their next fix on whatever that addiction might be. I don't care what it is. That's when you know you become a minister, when you've addicted yourself to the ministry so that you can't think every decision you make boils down to the ministry. But you're like, but I'm not that. Well, how do I do that? Well, let me give you verse 16 then, because verse 16 says that you submit yourselves into such. Find somebody that you know is that way and submit yourself to them. Glean from them, learn from them. And to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth, you have a hard time sharing the gospel? Find somebody that doesn't. Hang out with them. You have a hard time doing children's ministry? You don't know the best way to do it? Find somebody who's good at it and get next to them. It doesn't really matter whatever your scope is, whatever God's called you to. Find somebody who's doing it. Get beside them and glean from them. And to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth, find somebody who's doing that. Now, let me give you my definition of ministry. And this is where we'll close. My definition of ministry is laying down your life while telling others about why Christ laid down his life and inviting them to lay down their lives for their lives to follow the Lord. That's my definition of ministry. And you do that on repeat for the rest of your life. I don't want you to hear, well, Tony's calling me to pastor. No, I'm not. I'm praying that God will raise up more pastors. I'm praying that God will raise up missionaries. And I'm going to do everything I can to help facilitate that, throw my guts into that. But I'm also praying that God will raise up children's workers, children's ministers, and student ministry and youth ministry. And the aged men and the aged women pouring into the young women and the young men. I'm praying that everyone in this room who knows Christ as Savior will lay down their life right now. Will lay down their life to tell others about why Christ laid down his life and invite others to lay down their lives and follow the Lord and do that for the rest of the days you have on this planet. That's what I'm asking. And that's what I'm calling you to. Do it with your life, man. Is your ministry, your ministry, not HBC's ministry, your ministry, is it focused? Is it seizing every opportunity? Is your ministry seizing every opportunity to share the gospel? Is your ministry focused on people, centered on people, seizing every opportunity to see people? Let me just tell you, I struggle with that. I was just talking to Linda this morning. Where is she? Right over here. I was talking to Linda. You know, I've, I've made comments about how I despise Walmart. I figured it out. It's not that I don't like people. 
I do. I love people. I mean, I'm a people person. love to talk. I love to do all those things. I figured out why. I get road rage at Walmart. That, that's, that's it. Because if I, man, I'm happy to have a conversation. I'm happy to do all those things. But I'm the best shopper in the planet, I guess, because nobody else seems to know how to do it. That's really why it boils down to. I'm just kidding, in a way. But that's like, I walked, I walked out of there yesterday and I had like three good conversations with people. And I walked out of there and I saw Linda. Let me rephrase that. Linda saw me because she sees people, right? And I was out of the corner of my eye. I'm like, why is that car not going anywhere? Where's that? Why is that person waving at me? Oh, it's Linda. Hi, how you doing? But I was in that moment processing, why am I so frustrated? It's because people are shopping when I want to shop. And I had to deal with that. Just like, wow, I'm getting ready to preach this message. And the last thing on my mind was people. And everything on my mind was people. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? It's like people. I'm like, oh, people. There's an attitude switch. Man, I got to pray with somebody. Got to speak with somebody. I mean, come on. Slow down. Seek the opportunity. Walk through the open door. And just minister. And just do that on repeat. For the rest of your life. Very simple. Let's stand together. Listen. Somebody's embarrassed to come up and get this sticker, but it's up here. So you need to run up here and get this sticker or you ain't getting your kid. They're going to be here for a really long time. All right? Let's do some business with the Lord. You glad you came this morning? Hey, don't forget, 6 o'clock tonight, for those who want to plug into the vision meeting, you're more than welcome to be a part of that. And uh, so let's go to the Lord. Let's seek the Lord's face. Let's get out of here. Let's go do some business with the Lord. Father, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example, Lord, that we have with the Apostle Paul. Lord, there's so much to glean from those few verses. And Lord, we just barely scratched the surface. But Lord, I pray that we'll take these questions to heart. Lord, that we'll consider them. And Lord, that we'll put them into practice. We ask all this in the name of Christ.